0: Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Bear. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool, or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ken Baer, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue right here in Celebration, Florida. Today, we are on a new parable, the parable of the wicked vine dressers, uh, or sometimes it's called the parable of the wicked tenants. This parable is found in all three of the synoptic gospels in Matthew 21, Mark 12, as well as Luke 20. Uh, we call them synoptic gospel because these three gospels provide a, a synopsis of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, we won't read all three of the parables just the one in the gospel of matthew uh, beginning in chapter 21 verse 33. Um, i think i've told you before that there are are 46 46 uh, parables um, in the three gospels and we've been going through them very methodically Um, in fact i i I take it slow uh, because i want to try to maximize the benefit that we get from the, these parables. Jesus said that the parables are designed to be able to reveal mysteries of the kingdom of God. As we go through these parables, we take them in order, meaning that we start at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And now we're three years into the ministry, uh, getting close to, to the end. Uh, in fact, this is this week that Jesus is telling this parable is the week we call Holy Week. Uh, It began on what we call Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and it will end with the resurrection of Jesus Christ on on Resurrection Day. Now, these parables, uh, they'll confront us sometimes, especially if you have a, a picture of Jesus as this meek baby born in Bethlehem, the one that turned the other cheek, the one that didn't even respond when Pilate was accusing him. Um, if that's your your vision of Jesus, this may, this may challenge you, some of these parables, uh, because Jesus always didn't choose to submit. The parable today is actually parable number 39 out of 46. All of the parables that we do, by the way, are on our website. Uh, both the video as well as the audio podcast. This parable immediately follows the parable of the two sons, also found in chapter 21. Like the previous parable, it all starts with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, um, illustrating that he is truly the Messiah. This This was a prophecy that the people of Israel knew very well. They were waiting for their Messiah, to come and announce that who he was by riding in on a on a donkey. Now, after Jesus rides in the donkey, he goes to the temple. He overturns the temple, uh, overturns the uh, the money changes tables in the temple. Then he tells the parable of the the two sons, uh, and now he gives us this parable. Both parables are given in response. To a question that the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees asked Jesus, and they said, "By what authority are you doing these things? And and who gave you uh, this authority?" Um, you know, that was not a, a unique question. They had asked it or a similar question many times. Um, it was an appropriate question as well, although we would consider that their tone is a little what we would call snarky. Um, it was. It was not inappropriate because Jesus was was truly unique. Actually, Jesus didn't fit into the system that the religious leaders had had set up. Um, they probably asked the same kind of question to John the Baptist because John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus, was cut out of the same cloth. Uh, neither one of them aspired to be a Pharisee. Neither one of them would consider themselves students of the great Rabbi Hillel. Jesus was truly outside the system. Not only was he outside the system, but if you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus often saying things like this, you have heard it said, and then he typically quotes one of these religious leaders, one of these people that they put up on pedestals. And he'll say, but I tell you, so Jesus was was unlike the religious leaders at the time. Jesus taught in the temple courts. He taught and he gave no reference to where his authority came from. His wisdom was heavenly. Jesus spent time with his Father. It was definitely a heavenly wisdom, a wisdom not of this earth. So let's begin by reading the parable, read it all the way through, uh, along with the comments by Jesus immediately following the parable. Um, Remember that Jesus is responding to to the Jewish leaders. They're the ones that said, by what authority are you doing this? Uh, who gave you this authority? So Jesus is is giving the religious leaders a response. Let's begin in verse 33 of chapter 21 of Matthew. Here, another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower. Now he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they may receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Verse 40 Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to another vine dresser who will render to him the fruits of the season. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes, because they took him for a prophet begin to unpack this parable. We'll see that in this, this is a very full parable uh, with lots of history and lots of characterization. It it may be difficult to understand because we see that in God's vineyard, uh, the owner of the vineyard ends up destroying uh, the wicked vine dressers. So let's begin with uh, the most obvious thing in the parable. Jesus is talking about God's vineyard. The story begins by Jesus speaking about a landowner who planted a vineyard. Then the landowner did three things. First, he set a hedge around it. He built a wall, a fence, likely from a combination of brushes or plants, along with likely some stone walls, and also probably a gate uh, that would keep animals and thieves away from the the vineyard. Secondly, he, he dug a wine press in it. Now wine presses are mentioned often in the Bible. The word here that's used, normally translated as as wine press, is actually just, it could be a vat. Um, All kinds of fruit trees, as well as vines, are planted in vineyards. Uh, Fig trees, pomegranates, apple, pear, apricot, peaches, and of course, grapes. Archaeologists believe that at the time of Jesus, most wine presses included an upper vat where the grapes or other fruits would be crushed, and then a lower vat where the the juice would be collected. The third thing he did was he, he built a tower. Uh, this tower would guard and protect the vineyard from thieves. Uh, the towers would be made out of stone and actually have a, on the top, likely a hut made out of wood, where the family would live. And also from this elevated perch, they'd be able to watch over the entire vineyard. Uh, while fenced, uh, and the fences would often um, keep away uh, the various animals and, and thieves now why is jesus going to all of this this detail well for for all this every parable doesn't have a a deep spiritual meaning or metaphorical metaphorical um piece corresponding uh, to every element of the parable uh, this parable is is full of them full of them first we're told with all this specificity that the vineyard uh, was well laid out. Uh, it was the landowner that commissioned, or even perhaps worked or labored in the vineyard in order to provide these, these three things, the, the hedge, the wine press, uh, and the tower. Uh, this landowner was not careless or reckless in asking vine dressers to be able to produce fruit from a vineyard uh, that wouldn't be able to produce a harvest. Uh, it was if there was no fruit uh, from these vines, these vine dressers would not be able to blame the landowner, since the landowner had already provided all of the things that were necessary for success, for a, a fruitful harvest. So we identify that this is this is God's vineyard. Uh, you know, Israel is often referred to in the scriptures as a vineyard, and there's actually a very close parallel between this entire parable and something that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said back 700 years earlier. In chapter five of Isaiah, it says the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Um, As I was planning to discuss the parable today, I kind of made a mental note, let's not add too much other scripture into the parable because the the parable actually has a, a lot to say. However, this Chapter five of Isaiah is, is so interesting. I, I've got to read it a, a little bit to you. Um, I read you verses one and two. Let me, let me pick up in verse three. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. Sounding familiar, doesn't it? But it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and the people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have I done for the vineyard that I have not already done? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. It'll be trampled. I will make it a wasteland neither pruned nor cultivated and briars and thorns will grow there." So this is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And we see very clearly that Jesus is referring to both the nation of Israel as well as the people of Israel. Isaiah chapter five is a, is a prophecy, a well-known prophecy in the Bible. You see, Isaiah, as I said, lived 700 years before Jesus. These verses about the vineyard becoming a wasteland is acknowledged as a prophecy of the destruction of both Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, Israel in the hands of Assyria in 722, and then Judah following it in 605 BC by King Nebuchadnezzar of of Babylon. However, by 500 BC, just uh, 120, 150 years later, we have the history of the Jews returning after Cyrus conquers Babylon and gives them the okay to rebuild Jerusalem. And we have the stories of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah who who rebuild the temple, the walls and and Jerusalem proper. So since 500 BC, the Jewish people have been living in, in relative peace and safety. Now they've been conquered by the Greeks as most of the known world was, and then they were conquered by the Romans as well, but they are still living in Jerusalem. They still have their religious system intact and they still have their temple. However, this parallel of Jesus is this parable is also a prophecy. Jesus is retelling the story of Israel with some significant modifications. The Jewish leaders had had no idea, no inkling that the days of their time in the land were were limited. They were short-lived. Uh, we'll take these changes uh, in the parable as we continue. Um, But let's continue, verse 34. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, they beat one, they killed one and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did likewise. Uh, This picture here is is not uncommon. It was understood that tenant farming uh, during the time that Jesus is speaking was a common practice in Israel. It is to this day. Um, There were laws that protected both the landowners as well as the tenants. This atrocity that the landowner's servants would have been beaten, stoned, and killed likely also wasn't unique. And the ancient laws provided for for remedies. Now, in this parable, these servants represent the the prophets, the prophets of God. So we've already identified a few things. If you're keeping track, uh, number one, God is the landowner. Israel, the nation and the people are the vine dressers. And now we see these servants that were were, um, beaten, um, stoned and and killed um, are the prophets we have a long history in the scriptures that god would send his prophets to the people of israel both israel as well as judah and these prophets would preach and tell the people to repent and, and, illust- and illustrate how far the people had departed from the law from the will that god had for them uh, but the, did the people listen to them <laughs> no they did not uh, No, in fact the new testament book of hebrews tells us a a similar story in hebrews 11 verses 36 and 37, um, the book of Hebrews says this. It says, still uh, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Verses in Hebrews talking about, well, here's a few examples. King Ahab imprisoned the prophet Micaiah. Naboth was stoned to death by Jezebel's command. The prophet Zechariah was stoned to death between the altar and the temple. Uh, tradition tells us that Isaiah was sawn into, uh, likely Jesus is also referring to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of the Christ. He came in the spirit of Elijah and the religious elite rejected him, and Herod took off his head. Just like the parable God had sent, servants, the prophets, to the people of Israel and Judah, uh, the vine dressers. They told the people to take care, to, to produce good fruit, but these servants, the prophets, were persecuted and they were killed. In the parable, the landowner sees no purpose in sending any more servants, so he decides to send his son. Verse 37, then last of all, he sent his son, saying, they'll respect my son, but when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. You know, so far we've seen God the Father as the landowner, the people and the nation of Israel as the vine dressers. John the Baptist and the other prophets represented the servants. And now we see a very clear reference to Jesus. The only Son of God in this parable, and this parable continues as a as a prophecy. The Son of God will be killed. Jesus is telling this parable to the to the religious leaders, the keepers of the temple, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. They recognize themselves as the vine dressers, just as the earlier prophecy of Isaiah had said 700 years prior. These religious leaders paraded around often as the the righteous servants of God. But not only were they, they often were corrupt, but they missed it. They missed the main event. The Messiah had come and they had, had failed to acknowledge who Jesus Judah was. The Messiah had come and they rejected him. At this very moment, they were planning on getting rid of him getting rid of him once and for all. A, a number of times they tried to trap him, uh, but they had failed. Uh, they, they, they will find worthless men uh, to and pay them money to give a, a false testimony about Jesus. This, this very weak. This very week, Jesus would be, would be crucified on Golgotha. Note that in this parable, the, the vine directors thought they could kill the son and inherit the land. Uh, if, if you kill the son, and there's no other heirs, then that may be possible, which means that the son that the landowner sent was an only son, a a dear son. And how truly valuable that is when we think that God sent his son, Jesus, to be able to to die in our stead. You know, Jesus is prophesying his own death at the hands of these vine dressers, these religious leaders just as their ancestors had persecuted and slain the prophets for hundreds of years. This next part in the parable is actually very interesting. Jesus then asked these religious leaders about the proper way to deal with those who who killed the servants. I'll start reading again in verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers, who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you ever read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. The landowner had provided very well for these tenants. He gave them every opportunity to be fruitful. The landowner was looking for a harvest. You know, Jesus had addressed this very thing just a little while earlier. Perhaps you remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of of John. John chapter four, Jesus says, you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for a harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. Uh, When we look closely at the use of the word vineyard in the parable, we realize that it represents something else, Uh, not just the nation of Israel, What else does it represent? It represents the kingdom of God. We see that. All we need to do is compare two verses. The main difference is the word vineyard is in verse 41, but it's replaced by the expression the kingdom of God in verse 43. Uh, By the simple comparison, we see that this vineyard represents the, the entire kingdom of God. God is looking out beyond Israel and he's now declaring the kingdom of God. The vineyard and the landowner planted in the parable is the kingdom of God. In verse 41, the vineyard is taken away from those who do not produce any fruit and given to to those who, who do or who will. Then in verse 43, Jesus says the kingdom of God is taken away from those who do not produce its fruit and given to others who will. The two sentences express the same sentiment. And actually what we see here is the exchange of tenants. Jesus quoted Psalm 118 in saying that the Messiah that was rejected was the cornerstone of this new relationship in the exchange of the tenants. So this parable has many parallels for us. We've already gone through some of them. God is the landowner. Israel is the nation, and the vi- people are the vi- vine dressers. Now the servants, those are the, the prophets. Jesus is the Son of God that was killed. And now we see that the vineyard actually represents the kingdom of God. So we've now have a parable, and these religious leaders have answered correctly. That it was only appropriate for the landowner to take away the vineyard from the wicked vine dressers, the present tenants and give the vineyard, which we now understand represents the kingdom of God, to others who will be more responsible. How are they responsible? Because they are able to produce the fruits, the harvest, when the harvest is ripe. Uh, This parable of Jesus is a prophecy. And it's a prophecy not only of the rejection of the Messiah by the religious leaders, and in essence, the majority of the Jewish people, but it's also a prophecy of the establishment of a, of a new arrangement, uh, what we know as, more properly as the new covenant, with a people that include both Jews and Gentiles, but in many respects, a transfer, a transfer of tenancy from the Jewish people to the Gentiles represented by the church. The Apostle Paul addresses this very subject, and there's a warning as well to all of us All of us that are the Gentile recipients of the kingdom of God. There's still work to do. Fruit is still expected. Let me read to you a little bit from the Apostle Paul in the 11th chapter of the Book of Romans. Paul says, You will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Apostle Paul uh, makes it very clear that it's because of God's goodness, God's mercy and grace that we've been grafted in. Uh, We are now the vine dressers in the kingdom of God. But this ability, this comes with a responsibility. We need to be able to produce fruit or we too are subject to being removed. Paul continues in the very next verse, this 11th chapter of Romans, and lets us know that there will be a time for the Jews, which continued to be God's chosen people. Verse 25, Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant Of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and so all Israel will be saved you know there are there are some that claim that all the promises that God made to Israel uh, have been revoked and that actually the church is the recipient of any of the blessings of God But that's not at all what the scriptures teach us. God doesn't break his promises. And he made a promise with with King David. Not only would the Messiah come from the line of David, but the Lord promised that he would establish the throne of David forever. The Apostle Paul said that there is a present blindness, in part, that has happened to Israel until what's called the fullness of the Gentiles. So we need to remember two things. First, uh, is that God is not done with Israel. There is a time coming when God's full attention will turn again back to the people of Israel and the land of Israel. Secondly, God is expecting the church, you and me, uh, his disciples, the people that are known or called by his name, he's calling us to be fruitful. If you're in the kingdom, you're actually in the same position as the tenants of the vineyard, who were supposed to look after it and produce fruit that the master expected. This is actually what it means to be a Christian. All too often we think of being a Christian is all about being saved, of of going to heaven. Uh, Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Paul speaks to this idea of being fruitful as the real point of of being in Christ. In Romans chapter seven, verse four, Paul says, likewise, my brethren, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you may produce fruit. Now, why did Jesus graft us in? Why did he extend the kingdom of God to us? Why does Jesus trust the kingdom to us so that we can bring fruit, bring forth fruit to God? Uh, we read this parable, I wonder if these religious leaders understood the parable or, or the significance of their statement that the vineyard would be taken away from these vineyards and vine dressers and, and given to another. Let's let's finish up the parable verses 44 and verses 45. Jesus continues, And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but who on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. You know, earlier, Jesus had quoted Psalm 119, that speaks of the chief cornerstone. Here in this verse, Jesus references himself as as the stone. And describes the dire consequences of actually opposing him, the Messiah. These religious leaders don't know it yet, but there's a Roman, um, Roman army under a general named Titus that's coming. Titus would be a eventually be a, a Caesar at some time in the future and Titus would completely destroy Jerusalem in in 70 AD. The temple that was the center of worship, the center of culture, and the center of power for the Sadducees and the Pharisees would be completely destroyed. Jesus prophesies that not one stone will be left on top of another. While these Religious leaders don't understand the true consequences of their rejection of the only son The Messiah the warning in this parable is crystal clear These religious leaders like all of us actually have a choice We can choose to embrace the Messiah in a in a humble surrender You, you bow your head and you just surrender to the God of the universe and you allow the son of God to take his rightful lordship in your life. However, you can also stumble over the Messiah, this rock, and ultimately be broken, be ruined, and ultimately be judged. Finally, I want you to notice that instead of repenting, these religious leaders, they responded to Jesus in anger. The scripture says they sought to lay hands on him. You know, it, it, it's so sad when you think about it, about these religious leaders who were in the very best position to understand who Jesus truly was. Uh, and and they are the very ones that ultimately reject him and ultimately conspire to put him to death at the hands of their Roman leaders. You know, it's easy to fault these, these Jews, these religious, these Sadducees and these Pharisees uh, and criticize their judgment. But remember, that can happen to any of us. Uh, like the vine dressers, they forgot there was a, a real owner, a, a landowner, that had provided for them and placed them in the vineyard. Instead, what they had thought was that their religion, their position, what they believed to be true, was the, was the most important. They had forgotten that they had a relationship with the landowner. And we said that the landowner was actually, was was actually God. Don't ever allow your religion to replace your relationship with God. Jesus came to earth so that we may may know God, have a relationship with God through him. Uh, This parable was told by Jesus during the week we know as as Holy Week. It was during the very week that he spent his time with his disciples and with his father, and he prayed. It's recorded in John chapter 17. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, your hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Then he continues, he says, you granted him authority over all people, that he may give eternal life to all of those you have given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. My prayer today for you, uh, for all of us, is that we may know God, the one and only and true God, through and with Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray. Father, God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this parable, this parable of... You've been listening this to Faith parable of... Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.